Welcome to the next episode of the Career Optimum Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Rosenlicht, a career coach based in the Washington, D.C. area. And today we're going to talk about the transition from working for an organization to branching out on your own and being your own boss. And I'm very lucky to have with me today, John Sporing. And I've known John for many years, both in personal and professional circles. And uh, John was the first one I thought of to join me on this podcast today because he went through this process several years ago. So we're gonna look at it from both the pre-pandemic era as well as um, making the move as a result of the pandemic. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to bring John on to the podcast. So John, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your company? Alrighty, thanks Joe for having me on. Uh, again, my name is John Sporing. Um, I am currently the, um, the owner of um, a Life Well Drunk, which is a wine tourism uh, company, um, but I've, um, I've not had that all my life. Um, it, is, it is turning 10 years old this year. Um, but I did start the company when I was working full time uh, for the federal government. I was um, I spent 25 years with the federal government. I was um, one of those government economists that you see on or read about on TV. You hear about the different data. That was the kind of stuff I did. It was very, very numbers oriented, very statistical driven positions that I had um, during my career. And it was just um it was, a, I hadn't, I enjoyed doing that, um, but I had always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit um, in me anyway. I opened my first company when I was um, 17, 18 years old, when I was going to college. Um, my parents let me um, take my college fund money out and turn it into, um, invest it into the business. Uh, the business flopped a couple of years later, but I, I did learn an awful lot about running a business by running a business as opposed to just attending business school. Um, so, um, fast forward, you know, to, um, I guess, um, 2011, um, I was still working full-time to the government and I decided to start looking at what I wanted to do when I left, um, to retire. And, you know, I, I, I always enjoyed teaching and I, I still do teach. Um, I also enjoyed travel and I also enjoy wine. So it's trying to figure out how I could combine all that into one, thing to so to follow my passion and that's when I opened up my company um, a life well drunk which does um, guided wine tours around the globe and um, you know there's always an educational aspect to it you know I'm teaching people about wine or history or the culture that we go uh, forever wherever we are um, and just um, allowing them to um, enjoy themselves you know experiences I think are where everything is is moving and so I'm, I've been very happy that um, we turned um, we're going to turn 10 um, later this year. So, well, congratulations. That's, that's quite an achievement. So I, I applaud you for um, living a life where you can combine 
your expertise and your passions all in one. I think that's the ideal situation for any of us. So um, when did you know that you wanted to make a permanent shift away from government and into being an entrepreneur? Was there like a tap on the shoulder that told you, yeah, now's the time? And what did that look like? Um, did you have to put a plan in place and what did that plan look like? So when I first started the company, um, I figured it would take a couple of years to get started. And so, you know, like I said, I was still working full time um, in a full, um, you know, it was beyond nine to five job. It was more like, a, you know, a nine to nine kind of job. Um, I, I worked late almost every night of, of the week. Um, and of course, with the commute here in DC, that just adds in, you know, a couple more hours in each direction. Um, but I, you know, I had been putting together the plan and slowly we were expanding and testing, you know, looking at who was going to be our target audience. And, you know, um, when I first started the company, I did not have a full plan laid out. Um, and actually, the plan that we had started with was completely different than where we are now. Um, but that's because we just did, you know, we would test a, a tour each year and, you know, this didn't work out the way we wanted it or we didn't get the people started coming on the tours that we weren't initially expecting to come. And, you know, so we decided to change our, our marketing and outreach a little bit to to be more tailored um, to what um, what we call now the empty nesters. They're, they're our primary market now. Um, and, you know, there's quite a few of them here in the D.C. area. Um, but I didn't, um, you know, so we started putting that together and we were planning that, planning trips, you know, slowly each year I would do one or two trips a year, um, basically, you know, using my vacation from my job to go and run these other tours. You know, everybody thought, oh, you're going to these great places for vacation. It's like, well, I'm actually working during my vacation. Uh, but it's very different when you work for yourself, right, as opposed to, you know, working for somebody else. So. Um, and I had initially planned to, to go full time probably in 21 or 22, you know, so around this time is when I had been planning to leave the government, you know, I, I had figured out when I would be able to retire um, and then, um, you know, work full time for myself. Um, but in 2016, I got that tap on the shoulder from, um, you know, leadership that the position I was in had been eliminated. And so I had to make the decision, you know, what was, what was I going to do now? Um, I was fortunate enough that I had the years and age and where I could take early retirement. Um, but then I decided what was I going to do with that? You know, the company wasn't really quite ready, in my opinion, to run full time at that point. Um, so, you know, I decided, you know, well, do I get another job? Do I, you know, do nothing or what, you know, what do I do? So, you know, I ended up doing some teaching. Um, it was also a period when uh, my mother had passed, so I spent a lot of time flying down to take care of my father and, and the estate um, down in Texas. So I kind of figured then it's like, well, you know, it's actually kind of nice not having to do this nine to five where I could still have my company and I could still run it when I had the time, even if I was in Texas or whatever, you know, we, we're a completely virtual company. We don't really, we keep everything in the cloud so we can, I can do anything, access anything from anywhere in, in, in the globe. So um, so that helped me kind of push that decision. It's like, I, I enjoyed spending the extra time with my father and not having to deal with, you know, a nine to five routine. Um, and so after that, I just said, well, you know, just go ahead and do this, jump in with both feet and, you know, by 
late 17, um, we were running the company full time and, you know, um, and booking tours, booking very, um, a lot of tours. And, you know, 19 was, again, our, our biggest year ever. Um, and um, we did, I think, six, seven tours that year. And we had, I want to say, 16 on the books for 20. Um, which of course we canceled all of the tours in 20 and canceled all the tours for 21 as well. So we're hopefully going to start traveling again come 22. So, right. So I'm sure COVID, you know, COVID has affected everyone in every walk of life. So it's, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're able to be resilient and, and you know, get the company back on a, you know, in a, the way it was before the pandemic, looking into 2022. Um, and I, I just want to pick up on something you said about, you know, not having to worry about that nine to five work schedule, which allowed you to, you know, um, tend to family situations and, and do some necessary travel. So I think that's what a lot of people now are really focused on, they've realized that as a result of the pandemic, that remote work is not only possible, but it's, uh, they can be more productive um, in a remote situation. So I think a lot, of, a lot of people are looking for those remote work situations um, in addition to branching out and being an entrepreneur. So um, what do you think about the, our collective experience this past year and a half or so um, being in, in a pandemic situation that has motivated and inspired this shift um, specifically um, in people to sort of make, make the jump? Uh, well, I think, you know, one, we kind of proved the rule that you could do remote work, right? And um, I remember one of the agencies I worked with, you know, during the Snowmageddon of DC a couple of years ago, we were forced to work at home for like a week, you know, and we found out, the agency found out that the technology just didn't hold up, you know, so so the agency invested, had invested a lot of money to um, build up the, the remote working. And, you know, and I was always, you know, allowing my employees to remote work as much as they wanted to. Um, um, you know, but leadership wasn't always pleased, you know, because they, you know, a lot of leadership had that micromanagement thing of if I don't see you in your office at your desk, that doesn't, that means you're not working, right? I mean, you could be sitting there playing solitaire on your computer, but as long as they walk by and saw you at the computer, they assumed you were doing something. Um, and so I think, you know, over this past year, now when we were all forced to work at home, um, leadership had to stop and think very carefully, you know, and not just, you know, with the government, but everybody's leadership that, you know, people are still being productive at home and they're still getting the work done. Um, and even if I don't see them, it's like, there's still the work's getting done. And so I think leadership has to grow and understand that you don't have to micromanage all the employees. Now there are some, right? We all know that there's always that one or two people that um, just need a little bit extra guidance, but you can do that even remotely, right? And you can also, I think, you know, 
allow them to make their own hours, right? You know, there, there are some some jobs that yes, you do need the nine to five, you know, whatever, because people are expecting something. But a lot of the work, you know, being a statistician, there was a lot of stuff I could do at night. It was not something that had to be done during the day, you know, and um, I could do it in the evening. I could do it early morning. You know, um, I, I teach in a university now and everything's online and I can do stuff at three o'clock in the morning. If I, if I can't sleep, I can just get on and do it. And so it allows me to be more productive when I want to be productive and you know, some of us are night owls, some of us are early birds, you know, and um, I tend to be more of a night owl, which was not necessarily a good thing when I was getting into the office at, you know, 630 in the morning, you know, because of because of traffic in DC, you have bizarre hours. And so I didn't, you know, it was not necessarily at my most, most productive because of one, I had to drive in for an hour, and then I was already up early you know, where now um, we can be productive when we can be productive and we don't have to deal with that commute, you know, which will save a lot of mental health issues for, you know, those of us that had these long commutes. And so I think now people, you know, realize that and hopefully leadership's realizing that, that I can now work on my own time and still get all the work done and still enjoy those things that, you know, maybe I was missing, you know, even, even if I still put in 10 hours a day, if I'm not commuting, that still gives me maybe another hour and a half, two hours a day that I can spend more time with my family. And, you know, during the day I can see, um, you know, the kids, I can see dogs, the cats, whatever, you know, whatever pets and, and children you have, you can see them during the day. And it's not necessarily, um, that's actually kind of refreshing, right? You get to take that break and you get to do something. And, you know, our minds need that break. We need to have that little, um, you know, excuse from getting up from your desk and going to walk the dog. You know, it, it does clear your mind, allows you to be more creative um, and then more productive when you come back. Instead of having to be at your desk for eight hours because if the boss walks by and you're not there, you know, you're, you're not doing anything, so. Right, yeah. I'm and it seems like um, everything I'm hearing and reading is people across the board in all, all different generations um, are really desiring this work flexibility. So at first I thought it was just those of us who are in latter stages of our career who might value lifestyle over other, other things like salary, et cetera. But, from what I'm hearing, it's also the millennials, for example, who are really looking for that work flexibility. So I think organizations, you're right, it across the board, um, they're gonna have to acknowledge that this is the new reality and that, um, you know, the expression, the toothpaste is out of the tube comes to mind. <laughs> you, you can't go back. You know, no matter how hard some people resist. Um, but I'm sure there are that, some leaders yeah. that are going to be trying to shove as much of that toothpaste back in there as they can. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's really, you know, I the there's a term now, the great resignation, where there's mass resignations um, in all different sectors. And it's because, and it's especially true in organizations where there is this resistance to letting people be flexible, 
giving a high, at least a hybrid situation. Um, so I think it, the next the next months and a couple of years are going to be very interesting to see, you know, where thing how everything sort of plays out. Uh, where also, the labor market is, yeah. I also think that we need to be a little bit careful, especially with our our new entrance into the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. I think you do get an awful lot um, when you're first starting in, in the workforce and you know, you, you've gone through college or whatever and you're getting in there and you're not quite sure how things work yet, right? And I do think I learned an awful lot by being in the office when I was first starting out, you know, and even in a new job, you know, it, it helps to be there and to see the different people and what they're doing and hear, the different phone calls that are going on and, you know, what's happening. Um, it's also, you know, when you're first starting out, you're not necessarily um, self-disciplined enough to sit and do the job, right? Or you're going to do it very mechanically, you know, because you, you read the, the, the notes and here's how you do this. You punch this and you do this and you hit return, and then, you know, and you just, where I think, you know, when you're training with people and you're in that group setting, you know, you get to learn a lot more um, about the other people that you're working with, you learn about yourself and you, you start to find those mentors and those leaders that you, you want to aspire to be. And I, I'm afraid that if we go too remote too fast that we're going to lose that. You know, I think we're seeing that in, in the education world right now, you know, with um, especially elementary school students, you know, they're like there was a big article about, you know, half what 20% of kindergartners disappeared last year. Because, hmm. um, you know, it's hard to keep you know, a four or five-year-old entertained by watching a screen all the time, right? You know, they learn a lot by playing with other children and not, you know, not throwing things at them. You know, th those are very important life lessons that we learned. And if we're not exposing our children to other children or not exposing our new hires to other new hires or uh, mentors, you know, I think there can be something lost there. So I, I think we need to tread somewhere in the middle about remote working um, but also, you know, make sure that we're, we're not letting our new hires um, fall behind. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are, it's, it's not a one size fits all situation. There are definitely circumstances, like you said, when you're a, a new employee or, you know, go transitioning into a new position that in-person um, experience is going to be very valuable. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I agree. There has to be some, um, there has to be a happy medium. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. So for those who want to make the shift, um, let's say they're working for an organization now, um, whether it's, whether they're fully in person, remote, hybrid, whatever the case might be, but, um, they just want to make that leap into uh, being an entrepreneur um, and just, just branching out and being their own boss, et cetera, et cetera. What advice would you give that might help them bring them closer to that reality? Be prepared to work a lot more than you think you will. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, you and I both know that, you know, running your own company, it, it sounds great. You have your own business card and everything. But you also know that there's a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings and, and behind the scenes work going on. 
Um, you know, everybody tells me they, you know, they would love to be in, in my position, traveling the world, drinking great wines. But there's a lot of work that goes in before the tour meets in the morning. There's a lot that goes on while they're tasting wine during the day. And then there's a lot I have to do at night when, you know, when they're gone on to bed, I'm still up doing stuff to make sure the next day is ready. You know, so it's not always fun and games. Um, but on the plus side, you know, I, I really only have to answer to my guests. I don't have to answer to anybody else um, but what my guests want. And so, you know, that's that's the job is making sure they're happy and, and want to travel again with me in the future. So if you, I would say if you do want to, you know, take that leap and, and start your own business, you know, first you have to make sure you have something that people are going to be paying for, right? You know, you may think this is a great idea, but can you actually find somebody that's willing to pay for it um, and pay you a salary that, you know, you can at least live on? You know, if you have a spouse, um, you know, I would be sure and talk, talk it over with them. And, you know, and if you have children, because it's going to impact um, the whole household. You know, you may be working, they may all be working with you at some point to, to help you out on, on your project, uh, on your company. Um, but also, you know, if you leave, that means that there's a certain amount of income that's probably going to disappear out of the family for a couple of years, you know, because, you know, as much as you think that, oh, you know, I'll drop my business plan, I'll be making money by the eighth month, um, that rarely, rarely happens, you know, and you rarely get somebody coming in to invest, you know, well, here's a million dollars, go ahead and, and do what you want to do. It takes a lot of work before you can get to that point. Um, so find, you know, find that happy medium where you know your family would be able to support you um, and maybe you're still working full-time you know the, you can do what I did you know I ran the company um, for five years before I actually um, left and I had I had planned to stay there longer but you know um, even after five years I had moved the company into a position where it was making some money it was not losing money because there's all the startup costs you know, that you have to deal with, you know, there's legal costs, there's, you know, you got to get accountants, you got to get lawyers, you got to, you know, business cards, computers, websites, all that kind of stuff, you know, you think, oh, it's, it's free. It's like, well, no, you know, you know, putting up a good website will cost you a couple of thousand dollars if you hire somebody to do it, you know, so you got to, somebody has to pay for that. Um, yeah, but the first couple of years, it came out of my pocket, you know, so yeah, you had, you had mentioned too that it's, well, one of the benefits is you don't necessarily have to do all of that yourself. Like if you know somebody who, who knows web design or is an accountant or is um, good with finance, financial matters, et cetera, et cetera, you can sort of work out an arrangement with these people and maybe, uh, you know, do some bartering. Yep. You know, and, and like I say, you might even find it within your own family, right? You know, maybe your spouse can do accounting or, you right. know, one of your kids is a, is a whiz on, on the website design or something, you know? So, um, you know, then you just have to, you know, you know, take them out to dinner or something. For them. Right, right, right. You know, there's um, always, there's always a way. Where yeah. there's a will, there's a way. So um, I would also yeah. say that, you know, don't wait till you have the perfect company, right? Because that's mm -hmm. never going to happen. You know, it, I think the lean startup is, is you know, there's, it's a very popular book. And, you know, I, I do encourage people to take a look at that if they have the opportunity. And, you know, once you have the idea, you can, you can get going, you know, and you can kind of fake it 
till you make it. Um, you know, I did that in the first couple of tours and I, you know, I would, I just had to be one day ahead of everybody else. Right. You know, so I only had to know where we were going to go tomorrow. I didn't have to worry about the next day. Um, even though they thought I knew everything about every place we were going, I, you know, I would come home and meet up on everything for the next day. And then, you know, they would be amazed at, Oh, how, you know, all this knowledge. Like, well, I was reading it last night at 2 AM. That's why, you know, so don't, don't think you have to have that perfect company and perfect logo and perfect website. The first time you go out, you don't, you know, um, you know, we've changed our logo three times in, in 10 years now. Um, you know, I think we're finally happy with the logo we have. Our website, eh, it still needs a lot of work and I'm working on that as well. But, you know, I think we have the product down now and we have something that people want to buy um, and, and, and come back and come back. We get about 70 to 80% return clients. And so therefore, you know, I don't have to waste too much time um, on marketing, you know, I can focus on, on the experiences of our clients and make sure they're happy because then the ones that go out and invite other friends to come with them next year. And so, um, you know, there are ways around um, not having that perfect company and, and waiting. You know, I, I've, I've talked to other entrepreneurs who have business plans and reams of spreadsheets and, you know, they can tell me what's going to happen on the third year, fourth month, second week of their company. I'm like, well, you know, good for that. But we also know that it will never happen like that. You know, I, I, I'm lucky if I know how my tour is going to turn out in what within one week, much less trying to figure out what's going to happen in five years. And, you know, because nobody had the pandemic in their business plan. I guarantee you that there was no company in the world that said, oh, we're just going to shut down for 2020 and we'll, we'll, we'll catch up later on. You know, that was not anybody's business plan. So, right. Yeah. So what from, I hear you saying that to be adaptable to changing situations, pandemic being one of the most major situations. Um, but really any, any sort of anything that comes along that might throw you a little bit off course, just kind of be adaptable and flexible. And, and then also don't feel like everything has to be perfect initially. Everything does not have to be perfectly in place. Just I, you know, good enough that it'll get you to the next step and to right. get you, get you up and running and, and get you going. And, right. you know, I think perfection, this is another podcast in itself, but I think there's no <laughs> such thing as perfection. So that's right. Um, you know, and, yeah. Uh, so, and I'll give you an example of, of what we did last year uh, for 2020, you know, since we weren't doing any tours, um, we started doing a weekly, um, YouTube um, Facebook show on wine, you know, so it was called Wine Uncensored and we brought in winemakers from across the globe, you know, and it was, it was a live program. Um, we're on a summer hiatus right now, but it'll be back in September. Um, and we've done 60 episodes to date. Um, we didn't charge for that, you know, so there was really no income generated and in, in, in all reality, it actually costs a little bit because of the Zoom set up and everything. Um, but, you know, we got so many new people on, you know, on our mailing list. And, you know, I had a couple of people who already reached out to me to go on tours. But then most importantly, you know, I, I became very good at using Zoom, you know, and I was teaching other winemakers how to how to do that kind of thing. Um, and then we even ran a couple of virtual conferences last year, which actually brought us in some income. 
Um, and we ran these conferences, uh, you know, they weren't wine related, they're actually more um, economics, but it was, um, you know, it brought in income, needed cash flow. So I had some cash flow coming into the business last year. Um, and even this year, we, we continued it earlier this year. And so, you know, we were able to pivot. We took what we learned from running that weekly show and turn it into a, a, a product that we, we probably won't offer it after this year, but at least it gave us something to do. Um, and it kept our name out there, right? Mm -hmm. So people still know who a life drunk is. I didn't disappear for two years um, during the pandemic, you know, and they've seen me every week, you know, and, and we've had people who have been on every show tuned in every week to watch us and everything. So, yeah. So um, great point. So um, even with those things that aren't generating income, um, it's still building your brand and your reputation. And like I said, just keeping your name out there. Um, so I wanted to close with a question about what is your next big adventure uh, in terms of wine tours? I guess we're talking about 2022 now. Um, and then also, if any of the listeners want to learn more about your company and what you offer, what's the best way to contact you? Okay. Um, well, right now we are planning um, in January, February to um, run a couple tours to South America. So we'll be doing Chile, um, Argentina, and Uruguay. Um, so we'll be stopping in each of those three countries. I believe that's a 12-day tour. I'd have to um, go back and look exactly. Um, and again, all of our tours are very small. You know, we, we only do eight to 10 people at max. Um, and then we will be running our, our best selling tours are South Africa. So we do spend two weeks in South Africa, um, drinking some great wine, learning about the history of South Africa, um, the apartheid, which affected the wines tremendously and eating some great food. And then we also do a safari in South Africa. So we do spend three days out in, in the bush, um, tracking elephants and lions and, you know, buffalo and leopard, all those fun things. Um, and again, eating some great food and drinking some great wines as well. Um, so, um, and then we'll have, we have a couple others that we're putting together. We do a lot of bespoke, you know, so we're kind of like, if you have a group of friends or family, you, you know, you know, maybe friends, maybe you're tired of hanging out with your family for the past year. So you and a couple of friends want to go away somewhere, you know, we can put those tours together for you. And we always have a wine consultant travel with you so you know we can make sure everything works um, smoothly so it's not we don't do um, self-guided everything will be guided for you um, and if um, anybody's interested you know I'd be happy to um, just reach out to me via emails the best way you know and like I said we're, we're all virtual so that's the best way to get a hold of us and, and my email is um, John john at a lifewelldrunk.com. Uh, and that's also our website, um, alifewelldrunk.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, that's where we have our biggest presence and you can find us at alifewelldrunk um, uh, on Instagram. And so, um, yeah, reach out to me. The, our um, website, as I mentioned, is still being up updated. And so it's not the most pretty thing to look at, uh, but if nothing else, just drop me an email and you know I'll be happy to help anybody talk about a tour or um, wine selection or anything like that, so. Great, yeah, and for other listeners, I'll, I'll put all of John's contact info in my podcast description. Um, so you have that for easy reference. So it sounds like your tours, of course, are for wine lovers, but also, but you don't necessarily have to be a wine lover be, 
There are other many other things to do on these tours, like safaris, et cetera, et cetera, that um, and and meet some nice people in the process. So it's right. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you know, again, I think, you know, when you talk about wine, there's a whole history of the country that comes into play. So, you know, we we do visit museums and we do um, eat local cuisine. You know, we we I always have a local guide that would be taking us around. Um, the country as well, um, especially when we go into other countries where language is a little bit more of, of a challenge um, as we go into Eastern Europe or um, we, we even did Japan a couple of years ago. We did a whiskey tour of Japan and that became um, definitely necessary to have a local guide walk us around there because my Japanese does not exist. And so um, we had to make sure we could get around. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, it sounds like everyone who's been on the tour can probably attest to the great experience that it's been for them. Um, so again, John, thank you so much for spending some time with me and with the listeners today to talk about your, your experience uh, making that transition from being a regular employee to being your own boss. So I think um you gave, gave some great tips and i hope our listeners can take some of what you said and apply it to their own lives so um any parting thoughts before we wrap up i just want to say you know if if anybody is even thinking about it you know go ahead and give it a try you know, like i said you don't have to quit your day job you can still give it a try um and see if it if it's for you you know entrepreneurship always sounds great until you actually have to do it because you know as i mentioned before it can be a lot of work but you do get a lot out of it as well. You know, at the end of the day, you can look back and say, I did that. You know, it was me that did this, put this company together, put this product together, you know, coach somebody, took them on a tour, whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you get to have that credit um, and hopefully some income to go along with it so that you can, you know, you can continue on and, you know, and maybe follow, you know, find your why and, and continue on with that, so. Right, good. Thanks again, John. And- My pleasure. Yeah, thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Career Optimum Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and be sure to subscribe and check out my blog at careeroptimum.com and my Instagram page at instagram.com slash careeroptimum. Be well and I look forward to being with you again in the very near future for my next episode. Take care.